organism. And it contains information. And that information produces distinct characteristics. And for a, a person, for a human being, it generates the characteristics of your physical body. Such basic aspects of whether you are male or female. The color of your hair, whether it's brown or black or blonde or red. Even the shape of your hairline. Predestined. (laughs) Praise the Lord, right? The color of your eyes, whether you're right or left-handed. How your earlobes are shaped. The angle of your chin. Whether or not you have dimples. The ability to roll your tongue is genetically determined. It may even produce elements of personality and behavior. Everyone has a unique DNA sequence. And there's a copy of your DNA in every cell of your body, except for your red blood cells. You can see how the the spiral-shaped DNA actually has the look of a ladder. It has rungs on it, doesn't it, like a ladder does. Every four rungs in the ladder formation is called a base. And each of those four rung units, each of those bases, has about three gigabytes of storage space for information. Or as my daughter called them when she was little, gigabytes. So you may or may not be familiar with with what a gigabyte is or, or the amount of information that we're talking about. So let me illustrate it this way. If you were to take a sheet of paper and look at that sheet of paper and all the information, if it was typed full of of information, um, a a gigabyte would be about three pickup truck loads of paper with information printed on it. So keep that in mind. You have three billion bases, four-rung units in your body. So that's about nine billion gigabytes. And that's a lot of pickup trucks. In fact, that's about 27 billion pickup truck loads of information traveling around in your body. Isn't that just amazing? Now, if you're a believer, that just makes you want to say, praise God. What an amazing creator we have. In fact, I don't mean this in kind of a smart aleck kind of way, but, but if someone is uncertain about whether or not there is design in the human body, which indicates a designer of the human body, I think that person should really consider DNA. Or if a person is wrestling with whether or not there is a creator, what the evidence of creation is, um, you should really, really look at this aspect of DNA. The question is, where did that information come from? Information doesn't just appear. It has to have a source, doesn't it? So where did all of that information come from that's contained in inside of our bodies? Well, DNA is a complex code. It's programmed into your cells. It's been called the blueprint for life. In fact, your body is literally encoded for life. We're looking at the book of Hebrews right now, and we're focusing on the theme, A Better Way to Live, from chapters 10 to 13. And you can go ahead and find Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews is all about the superiority of Jesus Christ in his person as well as in his work of providing salvation. And the writer was pointing the Jewish believers to that superiority of Christ and their security in him and encouraging them not to fall back or turn back to their old ways of of thinking and of, of the religious system they were used to. 
The Jewish system was a picture of, of what was to come and the one who was to come, Jesus Christ. So he's pointing them forward, reassuring them of the security of their faith in Jesus. And, and in, the, in the latter part of the book, there's a transition from that deep doctrine, which is what we're looking at in these first couple of weeks, into more of a practical application of how to live based on that. So if Jesus provides a, a better sacrifice and, and a better salvation, then, then knowing Jesus and living for Jesus is the best way to live, isn't it? And so we're talking about a better way to live. And the fact that you have been encoded for life. When you believe in Jesus Christ, something is placed inside of you. It's like a spiritual DNA. And it determines who you are. It, it produces in you characteristics and even a, a personality and, and generates behavior that characterize you as a Christian. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.21, you are a new creation in Christ. And there is a spiritual DNA that produces the characteristics of who you are as a believer. And understanding this is vital in experiencing this better way to live. And so look with me at Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll start with verse 11 and read the passage that we'll be looking at closely today. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying... This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. And that's where we'll stop our reading. If we understand what it means that God has encoded us for life, then we will be able to live the life God intends us to have. We'll be able to experience that better way to live. So let's talk about a few facts regarding being encoded for life. First of all, encoding for life is promised to all who sign on to the new covenant. And you notice if you look at verse 16, that's how he describes the promises that he then states or, or restates from an Old Testament passage. So this, this covenant is in the form of promises, and he calls it the new covenant. God has made a formal agreement with believers. It's called the new covenant. You remember he had made a series of covenants with the Jewish people. God always kept his end. He upheld his side. He fulfilled his promises. But what was the problem? The Jewish people, every single time, were unfaithful. They did not, they could not hold up their end of the covenant. So God, in his love and his mercy and his faithfulness, enacted a covenant that cannot fail. Those previous covenants required the people's participation in some way. 
But now God enacts a covenant that is solely and completely built on and based on not people's ability to perform, but the performance of one who could and did hold up his side of the covenant, Jesus Christ who could and did obey God completely, who who did fulfill all of the requirements of God's law. We talked about last week how he qualified for this by doing God's will. And he also satisfied God's justice for our unfaithfulness by his sacrificial death. Now this covenant was first presented to his chosen people, the Jews, but it's also made available to everyone. It is for anyone who trusts in Jesus Christ. And anyone who relies on Jesus, his perfect performance, the fact that he qualified and that his sacrifice satisfies God's justice, is brought into this covenant and included, and you sign on when you believe in Jesus. And God has formalized the provisions in the new covenant. He stated it to the Jews in the Old Testament. Now, it's it's completely laid out by the prophet Jeremiah. I'm not going to have you turn there. Actually, it's conveniently placed for us just a few pages earlier here in the book of Hebrews. So would you look at Hebrews chapter 8? Jeremiah the prophet laid it out in detail, this new covenant. But the writer of Hebrews completely quoted in Hebrews chapter 8, starting with verse 8. And then in chapter 10, which we're looking at, he restates part of it. But I want you to see the whole thing. So look at Hebrews chapter 8, starting in verse 8. For he, that's God, finds fault with them when he says... What he's doing is he's saying, you know, this, this, uh, the Old Testament way, the Old Testament system is now obsolete. And now he's describing what this new system, the new covenant, or we call it the new what? New Testament, right? Includes. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. That little statement might be a little bit puzzling. It wasn't that he didn't care about them. He let them go their own way, is is the idea. Verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. Now this is the new covenant. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. Now we're getting into what we're talking about this morning. The fact that we're encoded for life. Keep that in mind. But he goes on. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So now there's a a relationship involved. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. This relationship is personal. It is individual. It is experiential. From the least of them to the greatest. It is inclusive. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. So the promises of this new covenant include the internalized word, a personal relationship with God that is is secure, and forgiveness of sins that is once for all and that is permanent. Now back in chapter 10, 
in the first, the first time he related this new covenant, he's talking about the fact that the old is obsolete. He's introducing the new. Now he's focusing on some of the specific provisions of that new covenant, the specific promises. And here he focuses on the internalized word in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16, and the permanent forgiveness of sins in verse 17. In the context, he's been talking about the one sacrifice for sins forever, the single sacrifice Jesus made. And so he's leading up to that element of, of perfect and permanent forgiveness of sins. But he includes this element of the internalized word. Now, if you have signed on to the new covenant, if you have trusted in Jesus, then these promises are for you. Now, there's a question that comes up related to this. So he, he made this covenant, he entered into this covenant with the Jewish people, right? So if, if I'm not Jewish, then am I included in that? And that's a, a good question. Well, what I understand from Scripture is that this was initially and primarily for the Jews. But as you read through the New Testament, we see that the offer of salvation and the promises that come with it were opened up to anyone who would believe in Jesus Christ. And some of these promises will be fulfilled later when the, when the Jewish nation as a whole turns to Jesus and embraces Jesus as the Christ, as their Messiah. But some of them are being fulfilled right now to anyone who will believe. And that's what we're focusing on here this morning, some of those promises that are available to us right now. So this encoding for life is promised to you if you're saved. I want to stop for just a second here because I think if you and I look around and you know, we think, well, I, I'm pretty sure most of us here have, have signed on to the new covenant. We've believed in Jesus. If I were to ask, are you a Christian? Are you saved? I would think most of you would say, yes, I am. But I also know that a lot of times when a group gathers like this, there are one or a few people that are here because you're curious. Or somebody asked you to, to come with them to, uh, to a gathering church gathering, or maybe you've been attending and you're just kind of kind of watching and seeing what this is all about. And could I just encourage you to stay curious? Could I invite you to keep learning? In fact, could I just ask if you would kind of engage your mind and listen carefully to what's laid out here this morning? Because this is the plan. This is the news. This is the truth. And maybe you know someone who isn't here this morning who is in that situation. They're curious. You're having some initial conversations about who God is and what the Bible is and who Jesus is and, and all of it. Well, you're, there's information here that could be very helpful to you that you could incorporate into some of those conversations. Hey, have you ever heard of this? And tell them about it. God's the one who works in people's hearts, right? He's the one who takes these sometimes very complicated truths and, and opens people's eyes to help them understand it. And they won't unless we share it with them. But, but also know this. I know that uh, sometimes a person can be in a church family from the time they were born. I mean, literally, you know, carried into church as a little baby and growing up in Sunday school classes and children's programs and learning verses and going to the activities and, and just, just kind of flowing with the stream. And it's possible for everybody to kind of 
assume that you're a Christian because you're here and you fit in and you look the right way and say the things that people expect you to say. If you've never actually personally accepted these terms, signed on to the new covenant, covenant, believed in Jesus as your once for all sacrifice for sins forever, then please, please, don't just float along with everybody assuming that everything's okay. It's a really good thing to do to stop and say, wait a minute, I need to make this personal for myself. I can't, I can't float with the church family into heaven or into a relationship with God. This must be personal for you. So, so engage those minds and, and open those hearts and consider this. And, and maybe there's a decision. Maybe there's a response that, that you need to make. So going into this, I just want to encourage all of us that this is something for us to pay close attention to. Now, these promises are almost too good to be true, and we're not spending time on each of them here this morning. We're going to focus primarily on one. They're almost too good to be true. And if Israel failed, then then why would we think that anybody can have these benefits? A relationship with God, forgiveness of sins, and this source of information for, for living a new life. Well, that leads us to the second fact that we'll look at here today, and it is this. This this encoding for life is provided for us through the single sacrifice made by Jesus. And you can see that in the verses that we already read, but, but notice what he says in verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So He's talking about what Jesus accomplished on the cross when he died for our sins and he rose again, that's implied here, and he returned to his Father's side. Then look at verse 14. For by a single offering, again emphasizing the fact, in contrast to all of those sacrifices the priests made in the Jewish system, by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Let's settle down here for just a minute. The word perfected in verse 14 means brought to completion. And we saw last Sunday how the writer said in chapter 10, verse 1, that that all of these sacrifices can never make people perfect who want to approach God and come close to Him. But Jesus did qualify. Jesus perfectly fulfilled God's will. And we are imperfect and unqualified because of our sins. But when we trust in Jesus, He makes us completely qualified. That's what it means that He has perfected us. He has made us completely qualified to be close to God now and with Him forever. Then look at the phrase He uses there in verse 14 as well. Those who are being sanctified. Now that's interesting. And again, if you think back in the earlier, what we looked at in verse 10, in fact, glance at it for just a minute, In verse 10, by that will, Jesus doing God's will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So you look at that, then you look at verse 14, for those who are being sanctified. You notice the difference? One refers to the past, one refers to the present. What's going on here? To be sanctified is to be set apart. It's what God does for us when we're saved. He sets us apart to himself and for his glory to do his will. And there's the aspect of holiness here, 
of, of a purification, all right? So that happens the moment we are saved, but then there's also an ongoing process of becoming more and more like him, of being sanctified progressively. Now, some people think that's what this is referring to, but in this context, it might be something a little different than that. There's, there's a verb tense that's called a timeless present. So it's a present tense verb. It indicates something that is ongoing. It is continual, and it is happening in a timeless sense. And that may be what the writer is saying here. He's saying, yes, you were set apart to God the moment you were saved. That happened instantaneously, but that was the beginning of a lifetime and of eternity of being holy, of being set apart to God and and set apart for his glory. So we are kept in the status of being set apart to God for all time. And again, there's great assurance in that for us, isn't there? Because this means that what Jesus did for you is perfect and it is permanent. It lasts forever. And there's great assurance and great security there for us. And then notice one more word in verse 18, where there is forgiveness. Isn't that a precious word to believers? Where there is forgiveness. Complete, permanent forgiveness. And what he's saying is that Jesus' death on the cross is able to qualify you to be close to God. It satisfies God's justice. And as a result of that, your sins are wiped away. Your sins are erased. In fact, God makes a choice to never, ever remember them against you again. That's the meaning of the beautiful song that we, that we worship the Lord with right before this message. He chooses not to remember. That is an incredible work of God. And we can struggle with that sometimes, can't we? And again, we're thinking about a foundation for our lives, for moving forward in how we live. There has to be that strong assurance that you are accepted in Christ, that you are sure of your salvation, that your sins are completely forgiven so that you can live that better life that glorifies God. But we tend to revert back to that that way of thinking of, well, I have to do something to be accepted by God, or I messed up, and I'm, I'm so imperfect, and I've committed that sin again, so God must be upset with me and doesn't like me and is pushing me away. Now, again, yes, we have to be careful of our sins, and yes, we should be, be pure and avoid temptation and all those things, but just in a general sense, we can be plagued by that feeling of inadequacy and imperfection and that God somehow holds us at arm's length. And my friends, if you're a believer, the opposite is true. His heart is open to us. He welcomes us into fellowship with Him. That's our status. Are you right with God? The default answer for a believer is yes. Not, boy, I don't know. Let me see. Let me check. No, we are because of Christ. Some people tend to be perfectionists and want to do everything just exactly right. Some people are frustrated perfectionists, so they've given up, so their lives are a total mess. Some of you are like that, right? We had one particular child growing up in our home who was a perfectionist. And as a young boy, actually just began to really dominate 
some of his behavior. And so our kids had chores. And so those chores included things like, you know, brushing your teeth, cleaning up your room, making your bed. And it got to a point where we had to tell him to stop. Now, that's, that's unusual, isn't it? When you have to tell your kids to stop working on their chores, he would go to brush his teeth and be in there one minute, two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, wanting to make sure that he had brushed his teeth just right. Uh, making the bed, you know, looking to have everything just perfectly square and smooth and even, and on and on it goes through through a lot of his behavior, and we just had to really work with him to help him understand. Listen, uh, there, you know, yeah, we want you to do a good job on on these chores, but there's a point where you're done. All right. Well, that same mindset I think can sometimes paralyze us as believers. Yes, we're supposed to to live a life that honors God, but we have to recognize that that we're full of imperfections. And even if you look at your past, you think of the things that, that you committed against God, and those can plague you. But what a, what a blessing and joy and source of peace and assurance to just rest in Jesus Christ and who He is and, and His perfection, and that He has made you perfect before God, and that is your permanent status. So encoding for life is provided through this single, single sacrifice that has been made by Jesus. And if you worry if you're pleasing God, if you're doing enough, if you struggle with a besetting sin, or if you have, have uncertainty about, about the security of your relationship with God, this truth is for you. In fact, let's take it a little bit further to something even, I think, practical in, in our day, because... Uh, we can find our sense of security and assurance in life from our circumstances. Things like finances. Uh, If finances are uncertain, if there's pressure on your ability to meet your financial responsibilities now, that's a source of stress. If you're worried about next month or making it through the end of the year, paying your own bills, or if you're an employer, paying your employees, keeping your business going, I don't fully understand all the the pressures and responsibilities involved with with farming, but I'm kind of learning and watching that whole process. And on my drive over here, farmers are out taking advantage of a dry weekend, right? Uh, Getting getting those crops in. And there's there's some pressures there, aren't there? Um, As you reach, reach a point later in life, there are financial concerns and anxieties. Or, or look beyond finances to the political scene and just the chaos, the turmoil, the, the rancor and the hostility there. It's like, what's going to happen to our country? What's happening in our world? I mean, it almost seems like it's just on the brink of all just disintegrating, doesn't it? Well, where is your source of security? From, from what do you get your assurance in life? I think we can all come back to this, can't we? There is one source of security and assurance, and it is your relationship with God. I mean, we're talking about things that last. We're talking about what matters. We're talking about issues of eternity, of your soul. And if you're a believer in Christ, God has made a covenant and included you in these promises and provided them for you in the one sacrifice for sins forever, Jesus Christ, his son, who rose from the dead and is at the right hand of God. That's just truth you can rest in, no matter what's going on in your life. Well, now we come to what is contained in this spiritual DNA. 
this encoding for life? Why is it so beneficial? Well, this this passage we're looking at in Hebrews 10 focuses on two of the elements. And we've we've touched on the forgiveness, and that's really what he's emphasizing here. That permanent forgiveness and standing with God, right standing with God. But, but I do want to zero in on what he says in verse 16. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. This encoding for life includes everything you need to live a better life. I want to give you three elements that this encoding for life includes some of it we'll see right here in this text. Others will will look around a little bit and, and see from some other scripture what's included here. What does it include? Well, first of all, a knowledge of God's will. My laws. God's laws are a reflection of his perfect holy character and of his will for us. It's how he wants us to live. And here he's talking not so much about the sacrificial system or the ceremonial laws. Here he's talking more about his will for all of our lives. How we live in a way that glorifies him. So this better life we're talking about is doing God's will. It's a life that honors him and glorifies him. And this knowledge of God's will includes a spiritual awareness of his will. He says, I will write, I will put my laws on their hearts. Your heart is the center of who you are as a person. It's where everything that you are rises from. Kind of like the, the cells for your physical body. Where the DNA resides. Well, your heart is the core of who you are as an individual. It's where your deepest impulses come from that determine how you live. And he's saying... I will put my laws and understanding of my will on their hearts. And then there is also a mental or intellectual awareness and write them on their mind. Now, this is somewhat of a restatement, but there's a little bit of distinction here. Your mind is your ability to know and to think. So he's saying there's an internal knowledge and it is always with you. There is this understanding of what God's will is. Do you know that you and I can navigate daily life with an awareness of the will of God? We can face, make decisions. We can face temptations. We can walk through times of uncertainty. We can navigate difficult trials of life. And there is built into you as a believer this inner understanding of the will of God. Now, the written word is still necessary, isn't it? We have a general sense God has embedded in us and imprinted on us, but but God's written word gives us specific instructions and a specific understanding of of his character. In fact, look with me at Colossians chapter 1, just for a minute, back a few pages to the left, to the little book of Colossians. And chapter 1, look at how Paul prayed for Christians in the first century, in the city of Colossae, in Colossians chapter 1, and just look at verses 9 and 10. Colossians 1, verse 9. 
And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So you see how he prayed for them? Not that they would just have a knowledge of God and his will, but that they would be filled with it. That they would increase in it. So we, we're, 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 we have this, this general knowledge and understanding of who God is and his will imprinted on our hearts and embedded in our minds, but through the written word of God and through prayer for God's work in our lives, that grows so that we can walk worthy, so that we can live this better life. Christians have this innate awareness and sense of God's will. Kent Hughes has written a fantastic commentary. In fact, I think it's based on his sermons from the book of Hebrews. And listen to what he says about this this awareness or this knowledge. He says this, It's in the very center of the believer's being so that there is an inner impulse that delights in knowing God's law and doing his will. That's a great description of what God does for you as a believer. So there's knowledge, but this spiritual encoding includes more than just awareness. It also includes with it actually desire. This is fascinating. God, through his work inside of us, awakens actually an inclination and desire to do his will. Now, I won't have you turn to these. I mean, you're welcome to, but just for the sake of time, I'm just going to put them up here on the screen for us. And if you want to jot the references down and look at them later, you're welcome to do that. But here's another, another way that God told the people of Israel that he would, would work in them in the future. This is really kind of another way of stating the new covenant. He says, and I will give you a new heart. A new spirit I will put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone, that hard-heartedness toward doing God's will from your flesh, and give you a, a heart of flesh, one that's alive, one that's sensitive to God's will. And I will put my, capital S, spirit within you. Look at the next words. Cause you. I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You ever just ask God to work in your life and say, Lord, would you just help me? To know your will, but also to want to do it. And sometimes we just need that want to, don't we? The desire, and God awakens that. He implants that in us. Paul states it this way in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. He says, as you've always obeyed, uh, not only in my presence, but now more in my absence, work out your own salvation, so that's your new life, with fear and trembling for. And here's the basis for him telling them to do that. So you need to do your part, but he says it's God who works in you both to will, we might say want, and to work, to practice, to live out what pleases him, his good pleasure. What a great promise there about how God actually awakens in us the desire to live for him. And then Galatians 5, 16 through 18, which is about walking in the Spirit. So, so we live our lives according to the Spirit's work in us. And you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. 
There are conflicting desires inside of us. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. So our position is to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us. And I liken it to a dad with a little girl who's walking down a sidewalk next to a street and he has her by the hand. And and it's not just holding hands because they love each other, but he's actually helping her along over the bumps and avoiding the cracks and not letting her run into the street and guiding her forward to the ice cream shop or wherever it is they're going. As we walk in the Spirit, we allow Him to lead us. He leads us in the way that God wants us to go, knowing that there's something good at the end, right? So as believers, we're led by the Spirit. He helps us and enables us to do the will of God. So what God works in us includes not only desire, knowledge and desire, but also even the ability to do God's will. As Philippians 2.13 said, to, to want to and to work for his good pleasure. I will ask you to glance with me at two passages. Look with me at Romans chapter 7. In Romans chapter 7, Paul describes the, those competing desires that he had and that we all have. Look at what he says in verse 18. Romans seven eighteen. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. He had that knowledge and desire, but he acknowledged that he lacked ability. Do you ever find yourself there? I just don't see how I'm going to be able to do this. So I'm going to skip over the next verses, but look at the beginning of chapter 8, if you would. Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh. Look at the next verse. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now he's talking about our walk, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What's he saying? He's saying, I didn't have the ability in me. But as a believer now, with the Spirit leading me and guiding me, he says, I am able to do what God requires. I am able to live in a way that glorifies God. Now, I'm not going to have you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but maybe you'll jot that one down, because in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is there talking about how the Spirit enables and empowers us to be active members of the church, to use our gifts to build up the body of Christ and to serve Him in the church setting. The bottom line is, you can do anything God wants you to do. Encoded for life means you have the knowledge and the desire and the ability to live in a God-glorifying way. I want to ask you this morning, do you believe that? It's kind of a big theological statement there. But is that real for you? I mean, do you embrace that? Is that something you're conscious of daily? 
You know, if you're a teenager, there are pressures on you. I mean, you've got school. Uh, there may be some family issues that burden you. You're thinking about the future. A lot of choices to make. Uh, if you're single, you know, maybe you've graduated from high school and you're working or thinking about college or maybe after college and thinking, what, what do I do with my life? What direction does it take? What path should I follow? How do I glorify God with my life, with who I am as a single individual? If you get married, that comes with a whole new set of issues, doesn't it? All of a sudden, you have to consider another person. It's enough to handle your own life. Now there's two of you to figure out life. And the the difficulties and challenges and sometimes the, the trials just multiply, don't they? God gives you children. What a responsibility. How many, how many choices you have to make? How many issues you have to face with them? You know, at every stage of life, there are decisions and there are temptations and there are responsibilities and there are fears. And let me add this as well. Where you are as a church right now is a very important time, isn't it? I mean, this is a critical season for you. Well, let me reassure you, across the board, whoever you are, whatever stage in life, and you as a church. This is true for you. You have, as a believer, you have the knowledge and desire and ability to live in a God-glorifying way. As God's Spirit works in you, as His Word informs you, as His Spirit leads you, you can make decisions that glorify Him. You can resist temptations in a way that glorifies Him. Your life can go in a direction that glorifies Him. You can take steps as a church body that glorify Him over the next weeks and months. And all of it is because of what He has placed inside of you according to this wonderful new covenant. So, thank you, right? should be our response to the Lord. Thank you for these wonderful provisions. And I believe it. I accept that I have this. And I'm able to do God's will in every situation, every time. And I will step confidently forward. Let that be your response this morning. I can step forward with confidence, knowing I can make right choices, knowing I can do the right things, knowing that I can live for the glory of God. Father, we lift these thoughts to you. We thank you. We accept these truths by faith. Help, I pray, every person to think of their life, their situation, and how these promises affect them and encourage them and guide them. And help each of us, I pray, to step confidently forward with this assurance. In Jesus' name, amen.